0: I want to kick off our new message series by asking you a question. But before I ask you the question, I want to remind you, you're in church. So that means two things. Number one, because you're in church, this is family. So this is a safe place to answer honestly and to answer openly. And two, we would ask you to answer honestly because if you lie, then Some of us could become collateral damage if a lightning bolt comes through the roof to hit you. So take care of your neighbor and just tell the truth. That's all I'm asking. Here's my question. How many of us, pastor's hand is in the air already, how many of us have at some point in our lives engaged in a physical fight? If you've ever been in a fight, just raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to hold your hands up. This is fascinating. Here's why I want you to keep your hands in the air. Go ahead. Just Some of you are like, I oh, don't know. It's okay. It's okay. Keep those hands up in the air. Now I want you to look around the room and look at how many women's hands are in the air. That is the kind of church I want a pastor right there. Woo! My goodness. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I, I was much more a lover than a fighter growing up, but some, when when women fight, I mean, that just scares, that's like NC-17 violence. You, you don't want to even, that's just terrifying. I, I only remember two or three fights in my growing up years. The last one that I remember ever having, I was in the fourth grade, and we were outside at recess playing soccer, and you know when when kids are playing soccer, before they learn the finer parts of the game and spacing and all that kind of stuff, it's just a big clump of kids following the ball around the field. And on this particular day, I was in the middle of the clump when somebody ejected the ball to the other end of the field, and as the clump began to give chase to the ball, I ended up on the ground. I fell down somehow, and the clump ran away, and I jumped up to give chase to the clump, and... As I started to run after the clump, somebody named Robert Hayes stuck his foot out (laughs) purposely and intentionally and tripped me with malice aforethought. I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you just hit a level of rage. You just snap. I hit that level of rage on the way to the ground. And Robert must have been able to tell it when I came up because, I mean, he... These were his words to me. I didn't say a word. When, when I tell you I was much more, I was, I was a sweet kid for the most part. Uh, but I, something happened on this day, and, and I came up, and he could tell that, that something had ch- shifted in me. We hadn't even had a fight. We hadn't had words. We weren't talking smack. He just tripped me for no reason. And when I came up, he could tell I was angry. These were his words. In fourth grade, I want you to think about the fourth grader who says this. He goes, come on, Richard, you want to go? Direct quote. Well, as I said, I had snapped on my way to the ground. And and just so you know, what I'm about to tell you, I was wrong. I should not have done this. Kids, do not try this at home. When he said, Come on, Richard, you want to go, something inside just went, All right, we're going to dance. Let's go. And so I just popped him right in the mouth. I was wrong. I should not have done it. But it was a great shot. and he was absolutely stunned that I had even hit him. And he kind of went back like this, and I saw him put his his hand in his mouth, and there was blood on his fingers when he brought it away, just for the record. And and, and I'm standing there going, okay, well, what do we do now? When all of a sudden Robert just turns and runs to go tattle to the teacher. Is that sad? Sadder still, I got in trouble. Apparently, he started it did not work for Mrs. Passera I told you that story to tell you this Hopefully You like me, it's been a minute since you've been in a fight Hopefully you didn't have an altercation in the parking lot on your way in You're going to be sweet to everybody on the way out And like I said, hopefully it's been a minute But the reality is No matter where you come from, no matter what you've done Every single one of us is absolutely engaged in a fight every single day of our lives. Every single one of us, particularly when you choose to follow Christ. If you go by the name Christian, the Bible says that you and I are absolutely engaged in a battle that rages around us and with us all the time i want you to turn to your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm and tell him get your warrior on now some of you if you were speaking to your spouse you might have been a little hesitant to encourage them in that direction but but let me show you what the bible says this is how god's word puts this battle the bible says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We can't see this battle, but there is absolutely a spiritual war raging. Now, right up front, let me just give you a little spoiler alert. We win. Just for the record, Jesus has won. When Jesus rose from the dead, yeah, I think we can give that a little round. We win. We win because when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death. He subdued sin for eternity. The war has been won, but the battle rages. In the life that you and I live right here, right now, on this planet, the ultimate war has not been fought yet but the outcome is certain and until that outcome is manifest until it becomes reality there will continue to be these spiritual battles that rage on a regular basis let me i love the message which is a paraphrase of the new testament this is how the message puts this And I want you to read the highlighted words with me as we go through this today On this passage from ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 in the message read the highlighted words with me Here's what the bible says It says this is for keeps A life or death fight to the finish Against the devil and all his angels That's the reality That you and I live in the only question is Are we aware of the battle and are we engaged in the battle? Many, many years ago, there was a, an old deacon who walked out of church on a Sunday morning and the pastor was shaking hands at the door and he said, Preacher, I love your sermons. They just make me feel better about myself all the time. And his wife was right behind him and could not hold herself back and said, That may be because the devil has you right where he wants you. <laughs> you see, the spiritual battle is real. You and I have to be aware of it and be engaged in it. And to get at this, the fact of the matter is God has placed within every Christ follower. He has called every Christ follower to be a warrior. There is, in fact, a warrior within everyone who goes by the name of Christian. The Bible says that the Lord is a warrior. Jesus is prepared for battle in the book of Revelation. And so when we follow in his footsteps, when we follow him and give our lives to him, We are called to war in this battle. So the question then becomes if if God has placed this warrior within, how do we call the warrior out? And this is where we begin this series that we're starting this weekend called Biography. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at several lives that the Bible records their story for the purposes of understanding what it means. To live in and to live out our Christian faith Today as we look at the warrior within we're going to the life of Gideon Gideon is one of the most fascinating people whose lives are recorded in the Bible for us It's a historical account given to us in Judges chapter number six If you got your Bible with you maybe on your phone or maybe you use an old-fashioned actual book You could look up Judges chapter six Judges is the seventh book of the Old Testament You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. If you get to Ruth, hook a U-turn and come back a little bit. Judges. And and the book of Judges is interesting because it records for us a fascinating period in the life of God's chosen people, Israel. Just by way of review, God had called Abram out to be the vehicle through which he would bless the entire world. And it was through Abram's family, Abram who became Abraham, and he and his elderly wife Sarah had their son Isaac, and then there was Jacob. This holy family would one day become a holy nation through whom God would bless the entire world. And it is through Israel that God would ultimately deliver Messiah, Jesus. But it started there with Abram. But before they could become... A holy nation they were a holy family but the judges this this period in israel's history is a transitional period it's kind of part of the seams of the story of israel that the judges when you think of judges in in the old testament don't think necessarily of you know black robe dispensing justice like we think of a judge there was that part of it but there was also a a military component to the role of a judge there was a political role where they were kind of the head of this nation as Israel was transitioning from this holy family to this holy nation and it is our man Gideon in Judges chapter 6 where we find one of the judges who presided over Israel during this transitional phase now Before we get into this, Israel was in the middle of a cycle which they repeated over and over and over again in their engagement with God, in their history. And what happened for Israel, the nation, see if it doesn't ring a bell of familiarity for us as people. Check this out. Israel would say... God is our God, we will follow God, and when they followed God faithfully, they experienced the blessings of God, and when they experienced the blessings of God, they started to believe their own press clippings, and then they kind of forgot that God was the one who had brought them where he had brought them from, and when they forgot that, God would allow them to experience the consequences of their sin, and in their consequences, they would re- be reminded and cry out to god and god would restore them and forgive them and they would go back to experiencing the blessings of god but then when they experienced the blessings of god they would sometimes forget that it was god who had given them the blessings and then they would kind of begin to believe their own press clippings yet again and the cycle continued on and on and on how many of us realize maybe from personal experience that success is the greatest spiritual challenge you will ever face. You know, I'm just saying, t- when, when things are tough, when, when you have the setback, when you have the, the loss, when you have the, the grief, then it's, God, I need you so badly. But when things are good, when you get the raise, when your kid gets into the college you wanted him to get into, when, when you get the new house, the new car, and that, that smell of new leather just... <sighs> And you kind of you kind of start to just think to yourself, you know, I think I may be the man. I I, I just I, I don't mean to I'm not bragging I'm just stating the facts that as it, I I I actually do have it all going on. Thank you so much. That's what Israel experienced. We've all been there before, haven't we? And they were in the middle of this cycle when we find. Gideon. Look in Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and 6 just for a little, just for a little background, but here, here's what the Bible says. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds so israel was reduced to starvation by the midianites then the israelites cried out to the lord for help now here's here's what's fascinating to me about this we we understand the cycle if you've lived you know more than about 45 minutes you've probably been through something similar but the israelites are hiding out from the midianites in, in in the caves in the mountains living like wild animals hiding out in the middle of the promised land. This is the land that God had promised. He had sworn to Abram. God himself entered into a covenant with Abram, who became Abraham. And he said, I will give you a land for your descendants that they will need. Because your descendants will be so many. They'll be as many as the grains of sand on the beach or the stars in the heaven. You won't be able to count them all. And I will deliver your people to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. And here is Israel in the middle of the promised land hiding in the mountains because they have forgotten what God has done for them. It's an incredible story. It's so tragic. But this is the background. Here's where we meet Gideon. Look at what the Bible says in verse 11, Judges chapter 6. And again, when we get to the highlighted words on the screen, I want you to read these out loud with me. Verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that's Ophrah, not Oprah. Gideon! No, it didn't happen. In the oak in Ophrah that belongs, a couple of you got that, that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. <laughs> Let's try that again. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior, this is comedy gold. Let, this is funny. Let, let me explain to you why this is so funny. So, here's Gideon. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Threshing wheat just means that you're separating the husk of the wheat from the kernel of the wheat that, that you want but he's doing it down in a wine press and when you think about a wine press how many of you remember maybe the old i love lucy show where where ethel and lucy are stomping the grapes that's kind of where he was it would have been a stone enclosure at the bottom of a hill but the reason this is so ironic is because usually threshing of wheat happened on top of a hill it would happen where the breeze so threshing wheat you're separating the husk from the kernel so the husk goes over here the kernels go over here this is the this is the good kernel this is before gluten intolerance and it was good bread and and all that kind of stuff and but you would do it on top of a hill so that the breezes that blow across the top of the hill would blow the chaff away the husk would be blown away and and you'd have that but you'd be left with the good stuff but here Gideon is hiding in a wine press. I'm going to tell you something else that is politically incorrect but historically accurate. So don't send me an email. During Gideon's day and age, threshing wheat was typically women's work. So so here is this man doing women's work, hiding in a wine press so the Midianites don't find little piles of grain and come steal it from him. That's hilarious because the angel says, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Gideon is giving off exactly zero warrior vibe at this point. And yet, the angel of God calls him a mighty warrior. I I, I think when you read the story of Gideon in Judges 6, 7, and 8, it's not a long passage of Scripture, but the fact that the Bible chose to include this exchange with the Gideon, I think, is really significant. I think that what the first thing that you see as we meet Gideon and and as we think about the warrior within is that we have got to trust our calling you have to trust your calling That, that means that you you trust what God says about you more than what you feel about you let me ask you a question you don't have to raise your hand but feel free Does anybody in the room know that sometimes our feelings will lie to us? Anybody ever been misled by our emotions? Those of you not raising your hands, we have a new support group called Liars Anonymous. We're going to start that for you. But, man, our emotions can be so misleading. Our our emotions ebb and flow. They go up and they go down. I don't know who said this, but it was an absolutely brilliant statement. I I heard a, a pastor say this recently. He said... If your feelings, if your emotions were another person, you'd break up with them. You would never talk to your emotions again. As many times as they've lied to you and deceived you, as mercurial as they are up and down, you wouldn't have it. You'd be like, man, I don't need that kind of cray in my life. But we've got to trust our calling, which means we trust what God says about us more than what we feel about us. When God says in the Bible that in Christ you are more than a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror. When the Bible says that in Christ we are joint heirs, we are children of God, then we are joint heirs, children of God. Whether you feel like it or not, the truth, the reality is that you have been called into this relationship with God, and you've got to trust that calling whether you feel like a mighty warrior or not you are a mighty warrior you have been called into this battle so trust your calling understand that that's real not what you feel this is what God is saying to us here and in this and what's fascinating too is that even though Gideon has this exchange with an angel he doesn't yet believe it he's not buying what the angel is selling at this point He's not really owning it, and we know that because of what happens next. Look in verse 13. I love this. This is great. So the angel said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon, hiding in the winepress, says, "Um, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Um, But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. I, I love that. Um, pardon me, my Lord. See, he's not feeling it. He, he doesn't own it at this point. Verse fourteen. Again, read the highlighted words, with me. The Lord turned to him and said, "Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand." Am I not sending you? God says, "Go in the strength you have right now." I know you're hiding in a wine press. I know you're a guy doing women's work. One day we'll grow past that, but we're not there yet. So I'm telling you, you are a mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have. God is saying, yes, you trust your calling, but also trust your capacity. Trust your capacity. You have the strength that you have right now. You have everything that you need to take the next step for God. You've got it all. Everything that you need right now is in your hand as we speak for you to do whatever it is that God has for you to do. Whatever choice you have to make, whatever move you have to make professionally or as a family member, you have everything you need just to take the next step. You don't you don't have everything that you need to win the war, but you've got everything that you have to take the next step. You got to trust your capacity. You've got to be willing to step back and say, Okay, God, what is the next right move? You just take the next right step. So many times God reveals his will to us. He reveals his calling to us incrementally. Most of the time, most of the time, God has shown me what he wants me to do or Julie and me as a family, where he wants us to go when we follow him step by step. Very rarely do we get a 10-year plan from God? I've asked. Just, just trust your capacity and take the next right step. Just, just do the next right thing. You've got everything that you need right now to take the next step. And believe, trust that God will not leave you hanging. You take one step of obedience, I promise you, he will give you fuel for the next step of obedience. That's who he is and what he does. So trust your capacity Man, Gideon Gideon learned a valuable lesson about capacity The Bible tells us As you read the story further on in the scripture The Midianites had an army Of about 120,000 Fighting men Pretty significant force And God told Gideon to gather All of his fighting men together Get them ready for battle And when he gathered all of Israel's Fighting men, he had a force Of 32,000 now, I didn't go to West Point, but 120,000 is greater than 32,000 by about four to one. And at this point, God said, Gideon, you've got too many soldiers. You've you got too many for the fight that I have in store for you. Don't you know this was another, um, pardon me, my Lord, moment for Gideon? He's like, God, what do you mean we've got too many? We're outnumbered four to one. And God said, I know. He said, but Gideon, if you go into this battle with 32,000 soldiers and you win the, the battle that I'm about to give to you, there will be people who will ascribe the credit to you. There will be people who say, man, Gideon is a military strategery genius. When in fact, the battle is the Lord's. It is God's victory that he gives to you and to me and so God told Gideon he said Gideon here's what I want you to do with your 32,000 men that you've assembled tell any of them who are afraid any of them who are are nervous about the battle if they want to they can go home no shame no guilt nobody's going to mock them to their face just just tell them if they're scared they can go home and Gideon's like all right and so he tells them and the Bible says that 22,000 men left. 22,000 out of the 32,000. He's left with 10,000. If I'm Gideon, I'm like, um, pardon me, my Lord. And God says, Gideon, 10,000, you're going up against 120,000. That's still too many. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring the men The the, the remaining 10,000, I want you to bring them to the spring of Herod. The spring of Herod is an actual place in Israel. We've got a picture of it, I think, from when we were there on our tour about a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago or so. This is the actual spring of Herod where this event occurred. And God told Gideon, When you get your men down here to the water, tell them to get something to drink. They're going into battle, they need to hydrate. He goes, But what I want you to do is pay attention to how they drink. From the spring. He said, I want you to take note of the men who get down and scoop water up in their hands and lap it like a dog. He goes, Those are your fighters. Those are the ones who I want to stay. Everybody else who gets on all fours, puts their head down, and they start drinking, send them home. And so Gideon's like, All right. And the Bible says that at this dividing point, there were 300. Men left. 300. This was the original 300. When the Midianites showed up and engaged in the battle, Gideon kicked one of them into the well and said, This is Israel. <laughs> if you didn't see the movie, don't worry about it. 300. I think I pulled a hammy. 300. But, but here's what's interesting, I think, about what God told Gideon. The the men who, who got down and scooped up like this, they kept their eyes up. They were alert. They kept their eyes open on the enemy, keeping, keeping themselves aware and alert for the coming battle. That's who you want in a battle. When you go to fight spiritually, you want people on your side who've got some dog in them. You, you want some people who know what they're doing and are alert they are aware they're paying attention and they're always ready for battle but you got to trust your capacity you've got to trust the capacity that god has placed in your hand god does this throughout the entire bible go back to when he called moses to lead israel out of egyptian slavery when that calling happened Moses was tending his father-in-law's sheep the bible says on the back side of the desert The only guy that would hire him was his father-in-law. That was just because he didn't want his grandkids to go hungry But it was there on the backside of the desert that god showed up in the burning bush And and moses started to argue with god. He, he said god. I I I can't 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 lead them I I I stutter I don't talk so good. Have you ever argued with god? I don't recommend it It, it doesn't It typically does not go well for the arguer. And God said, Moses, what's in your hand? Moses said, well, it's my my shepherd's staff. It's what I use to guide the sheep and the goats. I also use it to beat away the the shepherd's staff. That was like his calling card. That was his identity as a shepherd. And God said, throw it down. Moses threw it down. And the Bible says it became a snake. And God said, pick it up. And Moses said, "Uh uh-uh. God said, pick it up. But not only do I want you to pick it up, Moses, I want you to pick it up by the tail. Now, I'm not a herpetologist, but I know you pick up a snake by the head. But Moses obeyed God. He picked the snake up by the tail, and when he did it, turned back into his staff. And God said, what's that in your hand? What is that in your hand? Go in the strength you have. He did this with David. David, who who killed Goliath, who wrote most of the Psalms, who became the second king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. But before that ever happened, he was the forgotten son of Jesse in a little backwater town called Bethlehem. He he was so forgotten that that his brothers were out fighting the Philistines that Goliath was a part of. And and his dad, Jesse, said, Hey, David, I want you to come in from the back 40. I want you to go take take some cheese and some bread to your brothers at the battlefront. Go check on them. Make sure they're doing okay. And so David, the man after God's own heart, the the giant killer, David just went skipping up to the battlefield with bread and cheese. Hungry? (laughs) But it was while he was at the battlefront that he heard Goliath taunting the army of God. He said, who is this Philistine? Who does he think he is? And the full-grown, professional soldiers were like, David, Ixnay on the ante. Let's don't. He's eight feet tall, bruh. Leave him alone. And so David went over to the brook and he, he scooped up five smooth stones in his hand, but it only took one. It only took one in the hands of a skilled shot. And David took that one rock and he put it in his sling that he had developed the skill with protecting his father's herd. And he used that sling and he killed. Goliath with one stone with the strength he had in his hand with what he had he trusted his capacity remember when Jesus fed 5,000 5,000 people hungry on a mountainside listen there aren't 5,000 people in this room I don't think but I promise you I'm not going past 1215 because you'll turn on me and it's not even football season <laughs> but Jesus found a little boy who, who had come to the sermon that day and he had in his in his lunchbox, he had five loaves of bread and two fish and Jesus said take what's in his hand and feed 5,000 people and they had leftovers 12 basketfuls they had to invent the refrigerator go in the strength you have trust your capacity now, I think obviously trusting our calling, that's a big deal the fact that the king of kings and the lord of lords calls you by name to collaborate with him in this world, that's huge to trust your capacity and go in the strength you have right here right now, big deal, huge deal but I really think, if you, if you follow the text even further, that trusting your calling, trusting your capacity are actually, as important as they are, they're actually means to the ends. And, and let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to go back to verse 14, but I'm going to keep going through 15 to 16. Watch this. Again, read the highlighted words with me. The Lord turned to him and he said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, what did he say? I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. See, ultimately, this is about trusting our caller ID. Trust your caller ID. Trust the one who calls you. Yes, you trust your calling. Yes, you trust your capacity. But in God's economy, it is always, say always, always. Always. about relationship. It's always about relationship. Even in the middle of the battle, it's about relationship. Trust the one who calls you. The one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Trust the one who calls you more than you trust your feelings. More than you trust your capacity you trust the one who calls you and you step into that relationship I don't I don't know where you are right now I don't know what battles you're facing what battle you might have just come out of but I do know this that he who called you is faithful he is faithful And if you're here today and you've never stepped into that faithfulness, you've never owned that relationship with Him, in just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. It's an invitation that God has extended through His Son, Jesus, who died on the cross in your place, in my place. Taking the consequences of our sin. But then he did for us what we couldn't have done for ourselves because he rose again. He got up out of the ground with the offer of new life for anyone who would believe in him, anyone who would follow him in relationship, in relationship. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And I'm going to ask nobody to move, nobody to stir for any reason. This is holy ground. you want to step into that relationship, then we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, responding to his amazing grace. Just something like this in your own words, silently talk to God and say, just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you, all of it. in order to receive your forgiveness all of it Jesus I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again with the offer of a new life and I accept Jesus in exchange for your life I give you mine, and I will follow you from this moment forward forever. I make this commitment. I make this surrender in Jesus' name. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just another moment. That was your prayer. This is the biggest moment of your life. And so as a church, as a family, we want to help with what comes next because this is just the beginning. If you just took that step of faith, then I want to ask you to do a couple of things so that we can help with what's next. Number one, if you would just take the program out, take out the program that you got when you came in, Just right now, quietly, and just open it up to the connect card that's inside and begin filling that out. Just fill that out, and you'll notice there's a place there to indicate I I committed my life to Christ this week. Fill out that card, and when you finish it, you can tear it off at the perforation along the fold there. You can kind of fold it up. But before, when we dismiss in just a minute, before you leave, I'm going to ask you to hand that card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts. And then the second thing that I want to ask you to do is you kind of finish up that connect card. As our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand? Just lift your hand up high over your head for just a brief moment, but hold it up there for a second as a statement physically of the commitment that you just made spiritually. And know that as a church, as a family of faith, we We honor that. We support that. We celebrate it. And we're here to help. You can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you: welcome home. Welcome home.